0: So, church, we're in 1 Timothy, where Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus through his young lieutenant in the faith named Timothy. And he has said to Timothy, Timothy, I urge you to remain in Ephesus so that you can command certain people not to teach contrary to the apostolic message. And you are a stewardship of the gospel by faith, you have a stewardship. And this stewardship has three components a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. Some men have swerved from these and have gone the wrong way. He says, But you remain. And then we come to this passage, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, Now we know that the law is good or beneficial or profitable if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Sound doctrine, life-giving doctrine, life-changing, life-affirming that flows from the gospel of the glorious grace found only in Jesus Christ. Paul is, is underscoring throughout this book the soundness, the wholeness, the hope that comes when you follow Christ. Chapter 4, verse 8. He says that bodily training is of some value, but godliness holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says godliness enhances this life and gives you the hope of heaven. Chapter 6, verse 3 says this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words, life-giving, life-affirming, life-enriching words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. And so he talks about the, the, the law is good, the, the, the law of the Old Testament. They can be applied to the church, this, this germane to the church today. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, there are three uses for the law, the Old Testament law, historically through the church. The first is this. It, is, it shows us ourself in our sin, and it pushes us to understand is only through the cross we can be made right with God. In Romans chapter 3, it says this, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic teachings, says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God for the works of the law. By them, no human being will ever be justified or made right in God's sight. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. So as you study the Scripture, the Scripture says, here are the standards, and you say, I don't measure up. Here are the standards. I don't measure up. Here are the standards. I don't measure up. What are we to do? We're to look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who died on the cross for our sin." So, so no one will ever be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become aware of our sin. That's the first use of the law. Now, today is Reformation Sunday. Now, the Reformation began inadvertently on October the 31st, 1517, when a monk named Martin Luther nailed up a placard with 95 statements on it as a point of discussion. And he started the Reformation at that time, the church had moved away from the gospel of grace and the Bible, and the people being taught basically this, and many people still teach this, you do good, you work hard, you do good, you work hard, you work, you work, you do good, you do good, and maybe, maybe God will love you, but all bets are off. You, can, you never can really know for certain. You do good, you do good, you earn God's favor. Luther lived that way for many years as a monk. And and Martin Luther said, I would go through these periods of deep depression and people would say, Luther, just love God. And he said this, love God, I hated him. I hated him because how could this God who is righteous and pure and unchanging ask of me to live at this standard? I could never, ever get there. And then he studied the Bible. And he came to Romans. And Romans says, the just shall live by faith. And that started the whole reformation. And out of the reformation we say now that we believe that we're saved by Christ alone. The word alone is very important. By grace alone through the outreaching love of God that brings us to himself by faith alone. Nothing we can do. We're simply trust the promises of God through the scripture alone to the glory of God alone. The word alone is very important, and that's the Reformation. And so, so the, the, the first use of the law is to mirror, show, show us in a mirror how we look and to drive us to the cross. The second use of, of the law is, is to restrain evil. The standards of God, and God says, don't do this. And so even people who, who have no understanding of the gospel but believe there's a great God who has is, who is spoken in their hearts. So don't do this. See, Romans chapter 2, very important verse, verse 14, if you're ever in a dispute about the use of, of law in our culture, or the laws of our culture, it says this, for, for um, when, when Gentiles, or non-believers, who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them. What Paul says here is this, is that that every man, woman, boy, and girl has written on their hearts certain standards. Everyone knows throughout various cultures, of Western civilization, everyone knows that murder is wrong. There's never been a culture that went around saying it's good to murder people. Every culture knows that theft is wrong. People don't go around saying, hey, just steal, it's good. Every, every culture knows that, that lying and character defamation is wrong. And Paul says these things are written on your heart. But, but the culture reinforces or helps surround the ethos of the law. An example in a great line, C.S. Lewis writing about this issue says, We, we mock patriotism. And we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. We should not be, he says. Uh, we could tease out and say, we, we, we mock the dignity of man as being made in the image of God, and we're shocked to find runaway racism. Or, or, or we're shocked to find people castigating one another. Or, or we mock the fact that God is a just God and we are. Shocked to find injustice or or we mock God's standard for sexuality and we're shocked to find all types of aberrant sexual behavior in our culture. We should not be because we suppress the truth that's written on our hearts. So the second use of the law is to restrain evil. The third use is to show us a way to live. The glory of the gospel points us to the cross. The cross points us back to God's standard as a way of liberating Daily Living says this, it is of great use to them as well as to others, and that as a rule of life, informing them of the will of God and their duty, it directs and binds them to walk accordingly for their benefit. That's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. So it, it shows us the way to live. Now, you look at this passage, and it's very interesting. Paul basically underscores the importance of the second table of the law, that's Commandments 5 through 10. He says, This law is written for those who murder their parents. Fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother. For those who strike their parents, excuse me, their fathers and their mothers. For, For murderers, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. For the sexually immoral and those who practice homosexuality, the seventh commandment, don't commit adultery. For enslavers, Eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal for those who are liars and perjurers. Ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. You shouldn't do character defamation. And Paul says this this all is in accordance with the sound doctrine that flows from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And church, when you read this, that which jumps off the page, deals with the sexually immoral and for men who practice homosexual. Behavior. So, so this morning, I'm, I'm just going to address it. I'm going to give you a paradigm for biblical thinking, a biblical worldview in this area, and just bear with me. I may be offensive to some of you, but just let's just ask God to give us grace. Uh, this is a huge issue. Uh, a man I respect very much recently wrote an uh, article and he said that this issue will be the defining issue in the church for the next decade or two. Um, and it, it's, it's become a, a, a huge issue. example. Wall Street Journal released a poll um, two weeks ago. The question was, do you believe that it is good, profitable, okay, for uh, there to be same-sex marriage in, in our country? Now, the silent generation, there were, that's the old people, okay, the old people, uh, this is a very shocking to me. In that particular survey, uh, 38% of the silent generation said it was okay, which was much higher than I thought it would be. That was really a shock to me, 38%. Among the baby boomers, that would be my age. I just don't think baby boomers have done much for America, but that's, that's my age group. 1946 to 1964 birth date It's about 50 um, 52% said it was okay, just over half. Among the millennials, now the millennials uh, are people born 1984-ish, 83 to 2004, uh, 68 to 70% said it was okay. So it's, it's, it's a tidal wave. And I just want to walk through a biblical paradigm regarding sexuality this morning to, to address that, just six points. Number one, God is, and he has spoken, and he is good. Start there. As, as followers of Christ, we start there. God is eternal. There was never a time when God was not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the happy land of the Trinity in glorious fellowship. God is eternal. He is good, and he has spoken. A couple of quotes here. Um, the first is from... Lewis, he says, In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. So we start with God is gloriously good. He's for us and He's spoken. And this speaking, communicating God has given us His word. Augustine, and this is one of my favorite books, The Confessions, who was saved at the age of 32, came to faith in Christ. He was, had lived a profligate life, professor of rhetoric, very bright writes, but, but you, you, O oh God, are the fullness and never failing plenteousness of incorruptible desires. Later he says, you, O oh living Christ, are my joy, you are my glory, you are my confidence. And, and so we, we begin out of the, the overflowing fountain of the fact that God is good, that God is for us. And so and we run to the promises of Scripture. I think of a verse that many of us have memorized and thought through many times. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do you want healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones? Do you want your way to be made straight through the wilderness? Then trust in the Lord. Or Jesus looked at his followers one day in John chapter 8 and he says if you're my followers you will continue in my words and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I want to be free. I want that. And so we, we, we the first point is God is eternal. God is good and he has spoken. We recently went to California to see our children and they both live in California now and uh, we had not met up with our son and his wife yet, so we were in San Francisco with our daughter. Her husband was in class at Berkeley, and so we get the tour of San Francisco, and we go to Sausalito. This is a beautiful, if you've ever been there. it's a beautiful place. And we were walking through Sausalito, and it's just a glorious day. And we come to a little park and there's a fountain there and you know we're trying to take our pictures we call them selfies now We just call them a photograph i don't know why. we're taking selfies and there's a dear woman sitting there who's a little older than me and uh, she greeted us when we walked up and she says can i take your picture i said oh thank you so much and she she took our picture and she smiled and i says you're so kind thank you god bless you she says oh no 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 just have fun God bless you, man. Oh, no, no, no. Just have fun. My wife and I both looked at each other and went, what she was saying is that God bless you and having fun are at loggerheads. See? God bless you, have fun at loggerheads. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in the presence of the living God is fullness of joy. And so we start with the fact that God is and God has spoken, and is good. He's good. Point two, if God is and he's spoken, that truth trumps every other ideology, every other political movement, every other nationalistic urge, every other thought world system. It, God's, that, that truth trumps everything. See, Martin Luther the hymn we, the choir sang, the hymn of the Reformation, at one point he says, let, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth is forever. One of my favorite writers of the last century, a man named Solzhenitsyn, said that one word of truth outweighs the whole world. So, so this this, this trumps every other system. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are preaching, these rough-hewn fishermen are preaching, and they say in chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation to be found in no one else, for there is, there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And then the next verse says this, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so they keep preaching, and they are imprisoned, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council, made up of PhDs who are very learned, very articulate, cultural elite. This is what happens. Verse 27, and when they brought them, they said before them, before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. This name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. They just they said we must obey God and not man, and then they preach the gospel. So the, this, this truth trumps every other ideology. Number three. All men and women are made in the image of God. All. And they are worthy of respect and Christian love. They're worthy of our respect. They're worthy of of our friendship. They're worthy of Christian love. Because they're made in the image of God. So, so, all men. I, I was... There are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. So the reason I was in a major su- major city, I got on the subway, and I just kind of, there are no seats, so I was kind of looking around the particular area of the subway that I was on, and I saw businessmen dressed with their briefcases. I saw travelers with their rollaway bags next to them going to the airport, and uh, over here to my right, as I glanced, was a, a young woman who was this is fairly early in the morning, she had basically nothing on to speak of. And the way she was dressed, I would have thought 1,001 1 odds that she was a prostitute. And my heart just broke. Because you know, sometimes you see women that age that, that, doing stuff like that, and I can't tell if they're 25 or 50. They're just, they're just hardened, they're just so sad. Then next stop, a guy got on my age. He had his hair in a ponytail up here. He had, seriously, five big rings hanging from his nose, both sides of his nose. and Piercings everywhere. Tattooed everywhere. One of them was a big Winnie the Pooh tattoo. I've never seen that before. I mean, it was like all over his leg. Purple fingernails. And I just thought, man, what, what? And I just sat there, watched these, these people, and then there are a group of five adults with special needs on a field trip. And I thought, every person here is worthy of respect and Christian love. Now, they, they may not be the people that I would run to. I probably should. But they're worthy of respect and Christian love because God made them in His image. And so I have no right to disparage any man, woman, boy, or girl because they're made in the image of God. And God, forgive me if I ever do. Fourthly, gender and our sexuality are good gifts from Abba, Father, who made us, who saw creation, who saw our maleness and our femaleness, and said, it is good. So, the early church dealt with a teaching called Gnosticism. I've mentioned it many times, but let me review it very quickly. Gnosticism is a teaching that earth was a putrid mess because there was a great pure God, and then there were hundreds of emanations from this great pure God, and with every emanation, the angels became less and less pure until a very impure, fallen, putrid angel made the, the earth. Th- therefore, earth is just a mess. There's no oughtness. There's no isness. There's no purpose. Conversely, we say the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We say all things were made by the living God. That Jesus Christ spoke all things into being. And so the, the difference there is monumental. There are some books being written. You can get them. They're saying this. Some very friendly. They're, they're, they're that, that we are becoming the new Gnostics in the 21st century. That there's no rhyme or reason or purpose, therefore, you, you can't say there's an oddness to life. There, there's no... There's no, So, so th- therefore, if everything is the impersonal plus time plus chance, then, then everything is interchangeable, including our sexual preferences and even our, our gender. And that's becoming very popular. And so... My, my daughter, who's working on a nursing degree in San Francisco, works in a doctor's office, says that they, they are told, don't use any gender pronouns. So you can't say, he is ready for an appointment. You say, this individual is ready for an appointment. And you don't ever say, this is my husband or my wife. This is my partner, because that could be offensive to people. So you're trying to do away. And I don't, so I was thinking, how do you even communicate? I, 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 I couldn't communicate. I mean, for example... Buster Posey is the great catcher for the Giants in the World Series. Buster Posey, great name, great athlete. Okay, so Buster Posey, and Buster Posey. Let's say that you're saying that he is a great catcher, and he is married to a woman, and they have beautiful children. So you can say he is say this this individual is a great catcher, and he has a life partner who's another human being. And they have children. I mean, I, I, it's just, you just go. But, but see, if, if you think it's all the impersonal plus time plus chance, then, then it can be interchangeable. I, I thought, what if you call a friend and you say, hey, we had a baby? Of course, the first thought is, is your baby healthy? Yes. And then, is it a boy or a girl? And I can see down the road, you can say, how dare you ask that? that's gender equivalence I mean come on but but we we step back and we say gender our confessional statement says gender is part of the goodness of God's creation it just is in the very core of my being I'm a male I'm a man you'll see how that's important in chapter 2 when we get there okay number 5 this good God has decreed not suggested, has decreed that sexual expression is to be in marriage between a man and a woman. That's where sexuality resides. Psalm 96, the psalmist is celebrating the goodness of the Lord, and he says this, he says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing a new song. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Let his salvation be. Be known from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all the gods. For all the gods, the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty in his sanctuary. Ascribe to him the glory due his name. Worship the Lord. Listen. Tremble before him all the earth. He's saying, worship, be glad, sing, celebrate. But he also says, tremble. Because God is and God has spoken. Because strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. What a great combination that because splendor and majesty are before him. And so I just stepped back and said, do, do I tremble because I stand in the presence of the triune God who has spoken? Tremble with joy, strength and beauty, but, but do I, 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 I tremble? You see, the book of First Peter is written to a church that's going into a time of persecution, but really the persecution is more of a social Pushing out, or a verbal chastisement. At this point, it's not death. It's going to get there, but it's not death. It's a social avoidance, and it's verbal chastisement. And and I think that's where a lot of us live in our, our jobs now. If you take any type of stand on what God's view of sexuality is, but for example, in First Peter chapter four, it says this. Um, it says when it comes to the. Behavior of of non-believers, they're involved in all of this sin, all this stuff, and he says this, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and so they malign you, they castigate you, they belittle you. That's where you live, many of you. And So I I say we we need to tremble before the Lord. Now listen to me. We have no right to revisit anything that God says is right or wrong. We don't have any right to revisit that. God has spoken. And we speak with joy. We speak with brokenness. We speak with sorrow. We speak with humility because God is. I hear this frequently from people. So so bear with me. I'll be finished after a while. I'm going to go a little long today. I hear this frequently from people. And I agree with it. I agree with it. May we be known for what we are for rather than what we are against. Amen. I'll sign up for that. I want to be known... We believe in the forgiveness of sins through the work of Christ. We believe that God is glorious and he is good and he loves his people. We, we believe that we should pursue, as Jeremiah 9 says, righteousness, justice, and holiness. We want to be a justice-seeking pe- people. We want to do the right thing. We want, we want to bash anything that smells of elitism or racism or, or, or anything that would, that would devalue people made in the image of God. We want, to, we want to protect people made in the image of God. Therefore, we want to protect life in the womb. We're for that. But but see, if you think logically, if you're for something, then you have to be against something else. So just be careful there. I mean, if, if you're for justice, you've got to be against sex trafficking. If you're for justice, you've got to be against character defamation. And if you say that God has said... In his unscrutable wisdom, that sex is a glorious gift, and it's between a man and a woman in marriage, then you gotta to have to be against any type of behavior that's outside of that confine. Do you understand that? And th- that's what we have to do as the people of God. Speak with brokenness, speak with compassion, speak the gospel. The sixth point is this and this is you hear me? Those who are persistently involved in unrepentant sin face an eternity of judgment. Let me read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, "...neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God." And then he says this, and this is what's a glorious statement. He says, "...but such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God." Now, now, what this passage says with striking clarity that if someone is involved in any of these sins and they're unrepentant, they face judgment. He also says that this church is made up of people who were involved in, Church of Corinth, this church, who, who were involved deeply in habitual, addictive behavior involving this stuff. But God saved them. God delivered them. God made him his people. So, so if we have friends, or if you are involved in a behavior that is unrepentant, ongoing, you're not a believer. That's what the Bible says. I'll, I'll, just, any, I'll just point to one. Swindlers. If you in your business practice cheat people, you don't deliver, you pad things, you, you give, you charge for this when you give this type, and you're just known for that, you just cheat, you lie, you steal, you swindle, and you say, well, you know, I love Jesus. No, you don't. You don't. Somebody who's regenerate is not a lifelong swindler. If you go around in character assassination and putting people down and, and destroying their reputation, you say, well, I can't help it, that's just the way I am, but I love Jesus, you're a liar. God breaks that. If you're a, a, a man and you say, man, I love the Lord, but I've got to have a different woman every other month who's not my wife to be with sexually, you are a liar. And the truth is not in you. Do, do, do we struggle with lust? Yes, but we don't live there. So somebody comes along and says, well, that's just the way I am. I can't help it. I'm just a cheater. I'm just a liar. I'm just a thief. I'm just a heterosexual offender. You say, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that regenerate people have a change of lifestyle because they receive the Holy Spirit of God. So, in closing, Christ must be supreme. And when Christ is supreme, we get the joy. Let me show you this quote. Let me ask where it comes from. The quote is, if anyone claims to be part of the revolution, but does not hate his parents, his spouse, his kids, and his own life, then he's not worthy of the coming revolution. Who said this? Multiple options. A, Mein Kampf, Adolf Hitler. B, on war von Koschwitz. C, the art of war by Shenzhou, or D, the gospel of Luke said by Jesus. D, okay, you pass. Okay, if Jesus is not eternal God in the flesh, and he makes a statement like that, he's a megalomaniac, he is a cruel man. That's a cruel statement. But what he's saying is that if Christ is supreme, if Jesus is your Lord and your leader and your Savior then he will change you from the inside out and make you the husband or the wife or the son or the daughter or or the brother or the sister that you were called to be. And, And so that's why this is such a grave issue. Because we're dealing with eternity. We're dealing with sound doctrine that flows from the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So may we speak with love and brokenness and tenderness and humility realizing we've been saved by the wonderful grace of God. That's next week. But let us speak. Let us speak. With joy and brokenness and humility, but let us speak. Because men and women need to be saved through the gospel of Jesus. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the the privilege of opening the Bible and hearing from the God who is unchanging. Thank you that you are God, you are good, you're eternal. Um, And thank you that you are the overflowing fountain of mercy and truth. So Lord, speak to us of that and let us speak with broken love and humility and simplicity to people all around us. God, God forgive us for ever trying to give the impression that we deserve your love. We don't. It's not that we do good and do good and do good and we get on your A-team. It's that we see the glory of the cross and we see the suffering Son of God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves and we live with joy. So thank you for the gospel. And thank you that there are many people here today that fit the description of 1 Corinthians six eleven and such were some of you but you're washed you're saved you're right with Jesus and because of that you're part of the kingdom so we thank you for that even this week Lord use us to tell others about Jesus I pray in his name amen thank you very much